On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have so much distro news to talk about. In fact, we've got some news from Fedora, Pop! OS, Red Hat, OpenSUSE, and a follow-up to Ubuntu for the 2004 releases of the Ubuntu flavors. Last week, I said we're going to give the official Ubuntu flavors an extra week to discuss their 2004 releases, since there are so many to discuss, in fact, seven of them, and all of them have a lot of really interesting stuff happening in each one. So that's what we're going to do this week. And if that wasn't enough, Inkscape 1.0 has been released after 16 years of continuous development, so this episode is just jam-packed with Linux news. All that and much more is coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized, making managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, integrated firewalls, load balancers, multiple storage options, and more. You can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month, or even using their flexible pricing structure, you can get it to 0.7 cents per hour. Now, that's no, no, not 7 cents per hour. You heard right, 0.7 cents per hour. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software languages and frameworks. And those cloud agnostic tutorials are oftentimes just system agnostic tutorials because it helps you with your own desktop system as well as the cloud-based stuff because there are a lot of tutorials on their site is interchangeable depending on you know whatever your system you're using. A lot of the times they will work with the desktop as well. And you can get started on DigitalOcean, like I said, for that $5 per month, but you also can get started with a free credit of $100 by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can start on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit for free for that it'll get that'll work for two we'll give you two months for free so you could have a bunch of different five dollar droplets or you could have two gigantic droplets or one ridiculously gigantic droplet to just try out what you can do with DigitalOcean. and you can do that by going to do.co slash dln and thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in linux a first in the show this week is fedora 32 has been released now this release has probably the biggest thing is that it has GNOME 3.36, but we're not going to talk about all of this stuff that's related to 3.36 because we've already talked about GNOME 3.36 in episode 96 of This Week in Linux. So if you want to learn more about GNOME specifically, that release, check out that episode. I'll have a link in the show notes below and you can check it out from there. But the highlights of that release are that they've added a do not disturb toggle for notifications. They have an option for suspend in the status menu. And they've also improved the handling of the app folders in the applications portion of the overview system. GNOME 3.36 also brought many major performance improvements to the GNOME shell and in Mutter, the window manager for GNOME. And also GNOME 3.36 introduced improved UI animations and more fluid feel for the window management functionality. So this should be a lot lighter on memory usage from previous versions of GNOME and a bit more friendly to your CPU cycles. So all that's great. And if you want to learn more about that, I'll have a link to episode 96 of This Week in Linux to learn more about 3.36 of GNOME. But also for Fedora 32 is the new early OOM service. It's O-O-M. I'm not really sure what you're supposed to say. It means out of memory, but I'm not sure if you they want to say it early OOM or early OOM. I don't know if it's even supposed to be pronounced, but whatever. That's what it's called. And 
it's a uh, it's an another highlighting feature for Fedora 32 uh, because it resolves the slowing down of the UI during heavy swap usage. So this is a it's a user space daemon that keeps checking the amount of memory and swaps of the system. And if free memory goes below a set limit, early um terminates an, ap- an appropriate process to free up memory and avoid any system lagging. This is and also crashing specifically. And in this way, it helps users to quickly recover and regain control of their system without lagging or in low memory situations or the worst crashing situation because that does happen on some systems it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be like fedora or anything that can happen just depending on if you don't have swap or you don't have enough swap and all that kind of thing it just sort of sort of depends so it's nice to have this new service that is trying to manage that kind of thing to make sure it doesn't happen or is limited as much as possible so that is awesome and there's also some improved support for arm devices which is nice and they have replaced IP tables as the default network packet filtering framework with NF tables. Now that's a little bit on like the, you know, behind this, like the lower level type of discussion in terms of like IP tables versus NF tables. But the the concise way of taking it, of saying, of talking about this particular topic is that NF tables is a newer version, sort of similar to IP tables, but it's a lot cleaner, a lot simpler to use in comparison. It's, it's not like an easy system to use and configure, but in comparison to IP tables, it is ridiculously easier. So I'm really happy to see that they're implementing that as well as other distributions should as well. Uh, they've also removed Python 2, which is good because that means that Python 2 is being dropped out of a lot of distributions and it should be because it's been deprecated for a very long time and most applications don't use it anymore. There are some still that are sitting on super old versions of Python, but they need to upgrade and holding back an entire system's library structure because people aren't upgrading the software is not the best option. So I'm glad to see they're doing that. There's also a new addition for the lab section of Fedora because there's a Fedora lab section and one, this is actually really good fitting name for the lab and that is computational neuroscience lab edition of Fedora. So this introduced this new comp neuro Fedora lab option that's built on top of Fedora workstation and the Comp Neuro Edition uses the GNOME desktop environment, and it aims to streamline computational neuroscience work and encourage more users to use Fedora in their scientific efforts. Now, there, there's a lot of applications that are coming with this new edition, specifically for scientific stuff, like the, I don't know how to say these, uh, Arun, Arun uh, BioNetGen, Calc, which is a calcium calculator, Genesis, Neuron, and also a bunch of Python stuff for NumPy, SciPy, Matplotlib, and SimPy, and a bunch more. And it's really cool that there's this kind of addition is being made. It's very interesting. And also, just real quick before we move on to the next topic, I want to let you know that Fedora is doing an AMA or an Ask Me Anything in their new uh, Telegram group that they made for this. It's Fedora AMA Telegram group. I'll have a link in the show notes for joining the group if you want to. They're doing it on May 6th, which is this Wednesday, and it's happening at 6 p.m. UTC, or if you're in the U.S., it's 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern. So, And also, depending on where you are in the world, that might not be helpful. So I'll also have a link to a time zone converter in the show notes if you'd like to participate in the Fedora AMA. So all that in the show notes. Up next in the show is one of the only topics we're going to talk about that's not distro-related, and that is the latest release of Inkscape. So Inkscape 1.0 has been released, and yes, I said 1.0. 
I don't know why it took them 16 years to get to a 1.0. It has nothing to do with the stability or usability and function of the application. I mean, Inkscape's been around for years, obviously, and it's been fantastic for most of that time. So I don't know why they finally got to a 1.0, but I'm really glad that they did because the zero point whatever versioning scheme gives very many uh, bad connotations to it because it makes people think that it's in a it's a beta software and it shouldn't be used. So I'm glad that they're no longer using that anymore. But you know, if you're using if you're building a project and you want some advice about like what versioning scheme to use, it's okay to use zero point whatever in the beginning. But once you get to a state of people can use it, you should um, as soon as possible turn it to, into a 1.0 so that people will not con- you know consider it beta software and that kind of thing. So. I'm glad that they have switched to 1.0 now. I just wish they would have done it a little bit sooner. And for other projects, do it as soon as you can. And yeah. But the 1.0 is a major milestone, though, for the Inkscape project. And it's a huge release. So many awesome features that I can't wait to talk about. But I will not talk about everything because there are just so many things. I'm just going to talk about the highlights because, I mean, there's some awesome highlights. So I want to cover those as much as possible. But there are quite a few, so I'll have a link to the show notes, in the show notes, to their release notes, so you can learn more about it if you'd like to. If you're not aware, Inkscape is a really awesome open source vector graphics editor, and if vectors are uh, a type of graphics that are created by math, not by like pixels, so they're basically uh, infinitely scalable, and they're really, really powerful, and it's a really great method of creating our design and art and that kind of stuff. So it's a really important tool to have for Linux, and I am super excited about it. And yes, 1.0 of Inkscape, let's just get to all the features. First of all, GTK3 is now the toolkit used for Inkscape, which adds support for custom theming. It adds support for high DPI screen resolutions, and it makes it possible to provide native apps, uh, applications for macOS. Now, macOS users, will notice that it the, the latest version says that it's labeled as preview and this means that other stuff is coming in the near future with new new versions uh so it, it's but it's it's a native application now where it was using xquartz to kind of make it work with the version of gtk that they were using and now that they have gtk3 they don't have to use it anymore so it is a native application which offers better system integration on mac os which is really cool for those who are using mac now if you are using mac you should be using linux just saying although if you use both then i guess have at it anyway other things existing users will notice is the reorganized toolbox with a more logical order structure of how they organize the tools in the toolbox. And there are many new improved live path effects uh, or LPE features as it now offers the ability to search for LPEs and now lets you mark those LPEs as favorites for quicker access later on. There are many, many performance improvements as well and are probably noticeable mostly when you're editing the node heavy objects or using the objects dialog or when using like a grouping ungrouping features of the program. Uh, but it's much better. I mean, it's it, it, that would be more of experience of like someone who's used it for a long time, uh, but it is very, very noticeable and a lot smoother. And f- really fantastic to see all that stuff. Uh, so much more. And one of the other highlights I want to talk about is it now has mirroring and rotating for the canvas. So if you're like a freestyle drawing type of user, then you will love this because this is one of the things I've been waiting for for a very long time. Uh, the, the Rotating the canvas 
it might seem like it's not that big a deal. Like, why do you want to rotate the canvas? I mean, it's just, but the reason is because it makes it a lot easier to do natural drawing on a Wacom tablet because you can make the tablet, uh, you know, positioned to your arm more comfortably and also make the screen of the canvas positioned to your arm in the same way that the tablet does. And it's very, very good. And it also allows you to kind of like turn the canvas around to do different sections in a much easier and more ergonomic way. So the rotating of the canvas is a very important thing, even though it seems kind of like a simple, like a, a small thing, very, very important. So this is awesome that this has it now. Also, another awesome thing is the x-ray mode. Now this is fantastic. So there's x-ray mode and there's also the split view, which is like a combination of the x-ray mode and the regular mode. So the way it works in vector graphics is that you are creating, you can create layers, but also you create objects. And now you don't actually, actually never even, you don't even need to use the layers really with vector systems. You can just use the, the, the paths and the objects. Um, which is a, a lot of times people do. They just kind of skip the layers. I would suggest use both, but a lot of times people just skip the layers part. Uh, but there is something that's really, I've wanted it for a while to be able to see the uh, path, uh, the geometry path for the vectors without seeing all the different colorings. Because once you have some colorings cover, uh, like, you know, you have a, like one of your shapes has a full color. It could be covering something else and you can't really see that well. Uh, and it makes it harder to do the artwork. But with this new x-ray mode, you're able to turn off the visual elements of the path and just see all the paths themselves, as well as the split view mode, which allows you to do both the regular view, which shows you all the art piece, as well as the x-ray path pieces. And you can use a slider to like kind of move it around to see the x-ray mode or the new regular mode. And really, really awesome. Super excited about that. Can't wait to use it. It came out today, by the way. That's why I haven't used it, but super excited. And another thing is the power pencil mode has been added. And this is another fantastic thing that I'm, I've been waiting for for a while. And this is the ability to do pressure sensitive widths of your drawings. So this is the ability to the pencil tool. And it allows you to, when you draw something on Inkscape, you are drawing with a specific uh, size of the pencil brush, basically. And when you, uh, you can control the size, but it wasn't, it's not as, you know, smooth and it's the experience is not as cohesive as using a pressure sensitivity thing because Wacom tablets also have, I mean, it doesn't have to be Wacom. It can be any kind of drawing tablet, but that's just the most common one. And they all have a pressure sensitivity thing where the more you push down, the bigger the size of the pencil is. And this is really awesome that they have support for the pressure sensitivity width. Fantastic. So many things about this version of Inkscape is awesome. I can't wait to try it out. Uh, but again, it came out today, so I haven't had time to. But I really, really want to. And uh, I may even do a video about it because I'm such a big fan about this software. Anyway, Inkscape now allows you to vectorize line drawings with the new improved bitmap tracing, which is very cool. You can now do like drawings and then vectorize those and which is vectorized means it turns the existing drawing into a path system for the object so it can automatically create the the vectors for you which is fantastic too and there's many new useful live path effects or lpe effects and or lpe features and but I, but I don't want to cover all of them because there's so many of them but I did want to cover one that's really cool cuz it's it's a nice 
uh, convenience feature that I like. It's I have no idea how to say this properly, but it's either fillet chamfer or I don't know. I don't know. Uh, totally messed that up. But it's basically like a corners type of effect where it allows you to like cut the corners of a path or round the corners of a path in a consistent method. So you want to you add you you use this tool uh, to basically modify the roundedness of a corner, but it'll also uh, adjust the exist the other corners that you select as well. So you can do these all at the same time rather than you having know, to do one and the other and make, hopefully that they're they're correct and like the consistency it will automatically be consistent because you can just select multiples and have them all do it at the same time, which is fantastic. And there's also a lot of other things that they've done, like they have now upgraded for the extensions to use Python 3, which is important. And also they have changed the default coordinate origin to be the top left, which is the most common for most graphics tools. Uh, this It wasn't what it was using, uh, but now that it is, it's a lot more consistent with what people expect it to be. So I'm happy to see that. And there's so much more that I could spend probably an entire episode of the show on Inkscape, but that's enough for now. So if you learn more about Inkscape 1.0, I have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Pop OS, or more specifically, the way they write it out for some reason, Pop exclamation point underscore OS. That's what they do. 20.04 has been released, and this is from the folks at System76. Pop OS is an Ubuntu-based Linux distribution using the GNOME desktop environment, but it's a very customized and very polished GNOME setup. I am not personally a fan of GNOME, but if I were to use a GNOME distribution, it would be Pop! OS because I think they do the best polished approach to it and they fix a lot of some weird wonkiness that it's in GNOME and I really like all the work that they do to improve the experience of using GNOME. So if you want to use GNOME and you've ne- or you never, you've never tried it before or you are you know, you're just interested in how they polish it, definitely check out Pop! OS because there's a lot of great stuff in it, including this release has some new features like the automatic window tiling feature. So this is really, really cool because it's taking window tiling functionality from these tiling window managers that exist because uh, those are a little bare bones. Well, to be fair, they're very bare, bare bones. Uh, so when you have a tiling window manager, they have this really cool functionality of automatically placing windows depending on like a grid style or automatic positioning style based on priority system and all kinds of stuff like that. But they're very, very bare bones and you don't have a lot of the uh, luxuries or conveniences of a desktop environment when using those. So this feature that Pop OS has is sitting on top of the of a, is a GNOME extension sitting on top of GNOME Shell that allows you to get some functionality of tiling window managers sitting on top of the GNOME Shell. So you get all the benefits of the DE as well as the benefits of the tiling window manager. Now it's not exactly the same, right? Of course, because it doesn't have uh, all of the features that a tiling window manager does but it's a really, really nice way to get a helpful feature for productivity on top of the GNOME shell. And if you've never used Tiling Window Managers, it might be a good way to introduce yourself to it because you can, if you're already a GNOME user anyway, you can gradually use the Tiling Window Manager, see the experience, like what it is, and then maybe jump into the deep end of the, not the deep end, but the deep end of the Tiling Window Manager world because there's a lot of them and they're all pretty awesome, like i3 xmonad awesome and well it actually is called it is named awesome window manager not the best naming scheme but a very nice window manager at that 
Uh, also, another feature in Pop OS 20.04 is the new application switcher and launcher. So when you tap the super key plus the slash key, it will create a it will open up a new overlay, and this is where you can like type in the application name, and it will launch the application. Or if it's already open, it will just switch to it really quickly. And this is a really nice approach. I'm not sure why this is better than Alt Tab, but if you like this kind of a uh, typing switch open thing, then there you go. Also in this release of 20.04, there's new out-of-the-box support for flat packs in the Pop Shop, which is just, I always like talking about the Pop Shop because it's just fun to say. I mean, it's technically pop exclamation underscore shop, which is not as fun, but Pop Shop is fun to say. And this includes the flat pack support for the, the you know flat pack universal format. If you're not aware, universal formats are a way to get applications that will work on a variety of different distributions. And I should do a video about this overall. Actually, I plan to do that, so I'm just letting you know that I will be doing that. But flat pack is one of those formats, and it is supported by default out in the pop shop on the latest release. But more importantly, is that there's not an official, technically an official repository for flat packs. It's a format rather than a format and central repository where like snaps have their own repository and flat packs don't really have those. However, there is one that's kind of the, become the de facto repository for everybody to use called FlatHub. And this is something that every distribution should include by default when they add flat pack by default, but some of them don't do that for whatever reason. Uh, they all should. If you're going to include flat pack, you, flat pack, you also should include the flat hub because, I mean, why not? But I'm happy to say that the Pop Shop does include flat pack support for, via the flat hub, so that is fantastic. So it gives you a lot more choice for where you get your applications and even games and whatnot from there. So that is really, really, really cool to see. Uh, so if you want to get Steam, Atom, VS Code and a bunch of other stuff. You can get all that from the Flatpak Flat Hub version inside of the Pop Shop. So this is pretty cool. There's a lot of other things like they've done some ch uh, shortcut keyboard shortcut changes and a bunch of other stuff. If you're interested in checking out a well polished distribution using GNOME, then check out Pop Exclamation Point Underscore OS. Up next on the show is the Red Hat Summit and the OpenSUSE Summit that I wanted to talk about. And that might be weird because these already happened, but they're virtual summits. So in theory, you could go back and watch the videos whenever you want to. I say in theory because it's not true for both of them, but hey, we'll get to that in a second. First of all, Red Hat released Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.2 at the virtual summit. And they, they announced it, with, which and there's a lot of new features in it that adds like monitoring and container support capabilities and a bunch of other stuff. It's enterprise level stuff that you might not be interested in. So if you want to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes that describe all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting that they, there was some statistics about how many people participated in the event because the attendance for last year's in-person event was a actually record-breaking for them because this was the first release of 8.0 and it was 8,900 people. A Red Hat spokesperson said that more than 70,000 people registered for the online summit, which is very, very interesting because I always thought that, yes, you know, having access to watch it virtually would be more people would be wanting to do it, but I don't know if they've ever done that before. And if they haven't ever done it before, it's very, very impressive how well they did it because they already had, there was the mechanism to register and to watch the things you could watch live. You could also uh, watch them after the fact. 
I actually missed both of them personally at this time when they were supposed to be happening because I'm not good at paying attention to time frames and stuff, apparently. So I went back to watch them both after they had already been completed. And Red Hat's videos were available to watch. They still are available. You just, just register and log in and you can watch whatever you want, including all the keynotes and everything. But unfortunately, OpenSUSE's doesn't seem to be possible to watch any of the content after the event has concluded. So I wasn't able to watch any of that stuff. So maybe I could say, hey, if you have the videos, put them on YouTube or something. That'd be cool. Hopefully they will address that and put them up something somewhere for people to view it. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting to see the difference between, you know, Red Hat's numbers of when their in-person event happened and their current, you know, their virtual event that happened during this crazy time we're in. Uh, but anyway, if you want to learn more about these summits and hopefully get checked to check out the videos, I have links in the show notes to the different summits that you can, hopefully like OpenSUSE adds the videos. But if you're interested in checking out any of this stuff from Red Hat, lots of videos there, lots of videos there. So I have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Ubuntu flavor section of the episode. And there are a lot of flavors for Ubuntu. And basically every single one of them has had something really interesting happen for this release. So I wanted to give them a lot more time than I normally would be able to. So that's why I pushed them back to and want an extra episode later. Because if I were to include all the flavors, I'd have to push them into one episode or one topic in the episode and not give them the attention that they deserve because of how much work and how much really cool stuff they've been doing and basically every one of the flavors. So that's why I decided to do them a week later than the actual release of this episode. So we're going to start with Lubuntu. Lubuntu 20.04 is a distribution using LXQt. And this, they switched the biggest relate the biggest change between 1804 LTS and 2004 LTS is the Qt uh, desktop environment that they switched to, which is LXQt, because they were using LXDE, and they switched from that to LXQt on 1810 release, and they've been spending all the other interim releases to polish it up so that the latest 2004 LTS has the best foot forward they could possibly give it, which is very good. I was a huge fan of the decision switching to LXQt especially considering LXDE is deprecated, or at the best, uh, the most ma minimal maintenance mode ever. So it's really good that they did switch, so I'm, I was happy to see that they were doing it. And I also think that LXQt is a really good desktop environment, so there needs to be an Ubuntu-based distribution using it to make it for pe easy for people to try it out and experience LXQt in a very you know, easy to, low barrier to entry to get to it. And also I think that Lubuntu is probably the best well-polished example of LXQt. So if you've never tried LXQt before, definitely give Lubuntu a chance because I think it's one of the best, if not the best, distribution that offers LXQt by default. And this release of 20.04 has LXQt 0.14.1. You might remember that in a previous episode we talked about the release of LXQt 0.15 and you might be wondering why is this not available in the latest release of Ubuntu or Lubuntu. And that is because 0.15 was released after the release of Lubuntu, so there was no way to actually include it. And you also might be wondering, are you going to talk about the 0. Point whatever thing like you mentioned in Inkscape? And yes, yes I am. So LXQt, your your project is an example of having a 0. Point whatever. Just go ahead and go into 1.0 if you think that your stuff is good enough to be used by anyone. So there you go. Whatever, 1.0, it's okay, do it. <laughs> So 
Also included in this is the latest LTS for Qt, which is 5.12.8. And uh, Firefox 75 is included. LibreOffice Libre and VLC were both updated, as well as an update to the uh, Featherpad, which is LXQt's Notepad app. And they've done a lot of interesting things that are different to how I would have expected them to do. So, for example, they use Calamari's system installer instead of Ubiquity installer. Now, they've been doing this for quite a while as well, but I think that this is a really interesting approach because everybody else basically uses Ubiquity, and Calamari's is a system installer that is used by a lot of distributions, variety of different types of distributions, whether it's Arch-based, Debian-based, or whatever. There's a lot of those that use Calamari's, which is really cool to see Lubuntu do that. And also, they have done some something else that's interesting, as they use the KDE Discover Software Center as the graphical way to install applications and update those applications. So that's pretty interesting, considering they're using something that's you know not from the LXQ team versus you know having their creating their own. They're just using something that already exists that's Qt based, which I think is a fantastic decision because having uh, this collaboration aspects also benefits everybody involved. Um, also, they have another interesting decision in the sense that they don't use a you know typical Thunderbird or Evolution or whatever else for their email client. They use, I'm probably going to butcher this, but Trojita, I think. Trojita? I don't know. And this is a, a Qt-based using C++ development for an email client, or, and it has support for IMAP and SMTP and that, that kind of stuff. And it's it's really interesting and Trojicha is also one of those things that has zero point, whatever, fix that. Uh, but it is something that I always thought it was like a really cool email client that had like a very simple approach to email. I think that there's really no great, perfect email client on Linux. Um, there's Thunderbird's good, you know, Geary's good, Trojicha's good in some ways, and, you know, there's Evolution's good in other ways, and, you know, there's a lot of them. But they, there's nothing that's really hit the sweet spot. But I do like the fact that they're using the Qt in toolkit to do Trojita. So there is that. But I haven't had enough experience to give you like an, uh, an opinion of that part. But I am really happy to see that they're trying something different and interesting with that. Now, you may be wondering why they decided to switch from LXDE to LXQt. I talked about that they did do it, and then I, I think it's a good idea. But why did they do it? Well, they had a blog post titled, Taking a New Direction where they say that they want to be the, you know, they don't want to be the distribution for old computers anymore. They want to, you know, offer something that's a very lightweight distribution, but also a modern distribution. And they say that the reasonings, other reasons that they offered was uh, creating a Linux distribution, which is specifically meant for older hardware, is becoming uh, a challenge. As time progresses, the definition of older machines has been changing. At one point, our rule of thumb was to support machines 10 years old. If you look at computers that was released 10 years ago, for example, a computer with an AMD Phenom X3 processor, you will note that that computer and many of them, uh, many other computers like that, supported two gigabytes of RAM and two two processor cores and were also 64-bit machines. So this is like 10 years ago. It's a, you know, a situation where people say, you know, use old hardware, but they're talking typically about 32-bit hardware, and that's very, very old hardware. Not just old hardware, but super ancient hardware when you're talking about the x86 type of hardware. And they're like, there's 32-bit stuff that's ARM or 32-bit server stuff a little bit, but mostly 
it's 64-bit when you're talking about desktop support. And that's basically what Lubuntu is. So I think this is this makes a lot of good sense that they're doing it. And they say more Linux distributions today can run on the computer of 10 years ago than Linux distributions made five years ago with a 15-year-old computer. So the Lubuntu's new goal is to leverage modern Qt-based technologies and programs to give users a functional yet modular experience, which is very cool. And if you like to check out a Lubuntu, I would say definitely do so. It's a very cool distribution, and I, I'm really happy they're doing the LX Cute thing. Uh, but I would give you warning that if you do have Lubuntu 18.04, very highly suggested not to upgrade and just do a rate of refresh install because switching from one DE to another is a big change. So your system, whether if you have a 64-bit LXDE uh, version of Lubuntu with 18.04, you technically would still have hardware compatibility to upgrade, but changing the DE is not a good idea to do an upgrade there. So I would say, you know, do a fresh install in this particular case, and then you can upgrade going forward. But I think that this still, with this decision, you know, there's going to be caveats that I'm having to do the, up, the fresh install versus upgrade, but I still think that it's it was a good idea because LXQt is a cool DE. Lubuntu is a great flavor. So perfect combination. Check it out if you're interested in, in LXQt. I think, as I said, Lubuntu is probably the best distribution for trying it out as the first experience. So I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Kubuntu 20.04 LTS release. So, of course, this has the three years support that all the other LTS uh, flavors have. and this, But this concludes the Kubuntu version has KDE Plasma 5.18 LTS, which is the latest version of Plasma as of this recording. And Plasma is a... DE that I'm it's my preferred DE. It's one I'm the big fan of. I do like LXQt, but Plasma is the one I've been using for a very long time, and I'm a big fan of it for a variety of different reasons. And this is being included in the latest version of Kubuntu, and like you know how all of the versions of Kubuntu, but you know what I'm saying. And but this has a lot of great stuff that comes from 5.18, like it has the uh, the nice do not disturb mode for the notifications. It has the automatic nighttime mode, so you can have like the blue light dimmed for you, so that you have like better circadian rhythms and that kind of thing. So all this stuff that comes in 5.18 is available in Kubuntu, so that is great. And also some other changes that happen in 20.04 is that they have decided to switch from Kmail the email client from KDE to Thunderbird. So the new email client that's provided by default is Thunderbird. However, if you still want KML, you can install KML and the other uh, pieces that are dependencies of it, like the PIM suite from the archives, if you do want to. But I think that Thunderbird, while I was talking about Chojicha is interesting and I'm, it's, it's really cool that they're trying it out in Lubuntu, I think that Thunderbird is probably the best email client that is available on Linux. It might not be the best client, it might not be the best for everyone, and it's not definitely not the most polished one, uh, but it is the most featureful and the most well-developed, and I do like it, but, you know, email and Linux needs some work. But I do like Thunderbird overall. Anyway, another thing that they're doing is replacing the Cantata music player with, I think it's Eliza, Eliza, I don't know, uh, 19.12.3 is available in this release. So this is a music player that is now the default for Kubuntu, which is really interesting because it's a very nice looking music player and has a lot of great features. So if you never tried that out, it's a good way to try it out now. Uh, also, they have updated LibreOffice to 6.4. They've actually updated uh, Krita, KDevelop, Digicam, KDE Connect, 
as well as uh, Latte Dock. And the Latte Dock is a really good dock system. If you've never tried it before, it's the absolutely the best system for docks in uh, Plasma. However, I would even say it's better than the Plasma panels because you can replace the Plasma panels with Latte Dock and turn the docks into panels and do all kinds of really cool stuff with Latte Dock. So if you never tried it out, definitely check it out because it is very, very cool. Also very cool is KDE Connect because in particular, this is a big major release, uh, feature release for KDE Connect, which has like one of the best reasons to use Linux, in my opinion, is KDE Connect because it is that awesome. And it also doesn't require KDE if you want to use other distributions or DEs. You can use whatever and KDE Connect will work. It's just they use the term KDE because of the whole confusion of the name of the KDE used to be. Name, Plasma used to be named KDE. Then they decided in 2008 to change it, but they didn't decide. They didn't think that it was worth putting in the effort to actually have the the letters mean something. So it's still KDE. So when you search for what does KDE mean, you still find the desktop environment thing. So there's a giant confusion about what KDE is versus what Plasma is, and there's no reason for that. KDE fixed it. Just saying. But KDE Connect is a really awesome tool made by KDE Community that it connects your Android device with your desktop, whatever desktop that is, and it is fantastic. I love it. So that is available in Kubuntu by default, so check that out uh, because if you've never tried KD Connect and you want to try you know, just to experience it, it is worth trying out. Uh, also, the, the KDE PIM suite is no longer provided, provided by default because of the removal of uh, KMail, uh, but that is still installable if you do want to get that. They have also removed the KDE4 and the Qt4 libraries in the archive because uh, they're not really supported anymore and there's no reason for them to be there. So that makes sense. But in case you have software that requires any of that, there you go. That might be an issue for you. But also something I want to talk about is the Wayland support because there is a Plasma Wayland session if you do want to try it out. It can be added by installing the package plasma-workspace-wayland. Uh, but it's not supported by Kubuntu, so you may have some issues that, like at the login, like some login screen issues or whatever flickering issues or whatever. You know, it's not supported, so it's just something. If you want to try it out, you can. And once you install the package, you can just log out, and you'll see the session option for Wayland to log in again there. Uh, so if you want to check it out, that's cool. Do that. Uh, but you definitely should check out Kubuntu 20.04 because it is a fantastic release. And it's not just because I'm a big fan of Kubuntu and Plasma. It's also because they're doing a lot of cool stuff, just like the rest of the flavors, because, you know, there's a lot to talk about for the rest, too. So let's just move on to the get to the housekeeping section so we can get to all the rest of the good flavors after that. So. Yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Kubuntu 20.04, check out the show notes below for a link to their release notes. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. So we're taking a break from Ubuntu flavors for a little bit, and we're going to talk about some housekeeping stuff. So Front Page Linux is the website that Destination Linux Network created to have articles and news and opinions and tutorials and videos and all kinds of stuff available to the community and also available for the community to contribute if you would like to. Now, there is a quality control, so it's not just like any random thing that is submitted will be added. But 
if you would like to, to contribute to the front page Linux website, you can do so by going to the website, click on the contact button, and you'll have a link, you'll have an option to submit your article there. And uh, hopefully you would like to contribute to it because I think this is awesome because it's a really cool, uh, it's, I think it's very awesome really because it has open source mentality applied to a news site and an article site. So if you're interested in that, Definitely check out Front Page Linux. And somebody who was interested in that is Eric Londo from Linux Plus Plus because he has joined Front Page Linux in the latest issue of Linux Plus Plus that happened uh, yesterday, May 3rd, is available. And there's a lot of cool stuff on there. There's some news, for Linux news on there that's different from this show and other stuff. And also there's a interview with Douglas Bordeaux. He's the CEO of WeakNet Labs and the creator of Daemon Linux, which is a relatively new and but interesting distribution focused on pen penetration testing. It's kind of similar to Kali Linux and that sort of stuff. And also we did a Destination Linux Network Arch Linux questionnaire or survey, and this was applied to the Linux Plus Plus as well. Uh, so we were basically wanting to get some information about Arch users. You just fill out this survey, and we kind of we we didn't know what to expect, how many people were going to be willing to do this, but we've already had over 150 responses. So that is fantastic. Thank you so much for doing it. If you would like to, if you if you haven't done it yet, and you would st you would still like to do it, you, there's still time to do it. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the survey if you'd like to participate. Uh, this the Arch user survey is applying to not just Arch, but also Manjaro or Endeavor OS or anything that's based on Arch. Just you know what your experience is using Arch and how you got into it and that sort of thing. Very much appreciate if you would like to, if you would fill that out. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well as the link to Front Page Linux and the latest issue of Linux++ in the show notes below. Up next in housekeeping is Destination Linux Podcast. So Destination Linux is not only a network, it's also a podcast, and it is the podcast that I do with Ryan and Noah. And the latest episode that is currently available is episode 171. It's a really cool discussion where we have about the latest releases of Ubuntu 20.04 and Lenovo's announcement for shipping with Fedora. And we also are joined by Jill Bryant-Reinecker from Linux Gamecast. We interview her about her journey in Linux, as well as her awesome hardware collection of retro tech. And we find out that we thought that we had a lot of cool tech. Uh, we, we pale in comparison to Jill. It's really awesome conversation, so you definitely want to check that out. And we also have a really fun pop culture con conversation about Star Trek, because we're all big fans of Star Trek, except for Noah. And Noah has graciously accepted the fact that he needs to be a Star Trek fan. So on his path to becoming a Trekkie, we discuss all these types of stuff, like how to become a Trekkie and all that stuff. So if you're interested in Star Trek or you just want to talk, if you're, you know, if you're like Noah in that position and you want to learn more about it, definitely check out this episode because it was a really fun uh, piece of the show. It wasn't really relevant to Linux, but uh, we're all f fans of the show, so we thought it'd be great to talk to Jill about it, especially when we learned a bunch of stuff about her experience in that realm. Very interesting is because we didn't know anything about like how she got started. She even has like an original Tribble from the 60s show. That is amazing. Anyway... Check out episode 171 of Destination Linux to learn more about that and watch that show because it was fantastic. Also, the next episode of 172 was a really fun show too, and it's coming uh, on tomorrow actually. And we're it's gonna be it's Rocco with Big Daddy Linux. We talk about swap partitions versus swap files. We have Ubuntu 20.04 remixes, not necessarily flavors we talked about in this show, but the remixes like Umix OS or Ubuntu Cinnamon, uh, Ubuntu Lumina, the stuff like that. 
and uh, Google Stadia tour project. And also Noah and I have an interesting discussion about open-mindedness in Linux. And we both have very contradictory opinions in this topic. And we both realize that they, we were making both making good points. And I might have even admitted I was wrong about something. So if you're wondering what that might be, definitely check out the episode because it's kind of hard to explain. So episode 172 of Destination Linux is also worth checking out. Basically, every episode of Destination Linux is worth checking out, but these two are the most recent, so there you go. And finally, in housekeeping, I just want to take a little bit of time to thank all the 84 patrons of Tux Digital. It's very awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for helping me make this content. It is very important to me to make this show, and you helping me do so by having the time to put more effort into the show because you help me by basically directly helping me finance the creation of the show and all the other content on the channel is so awesome. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can help make this show possible by becoming a patron on Patreon or sponsors. And you also get special rewards by joining me in the new uh, patrons chat live stream and many, many more things. So again, thank you very, very much for being patrons. I, d I don't know how to thank you enough, but I will continue to try. I say this basically every week that I know I can't thank enough because it is such an important piece of this show, but I will attempt to try every week and let me know if you think that I've done it enough and then I will triple it because that's how much it should be. <laughs> so thanks again for being a patron of Tux Digital and This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to jump right back into the Ubuntu Flavors machine. We're going to start that back up and we're going to have Ubuntu Studio 20.04 first up. And Ubuntu Studio describes itself as a free and open source operating system for creative people. And Ubuntu Studio provides the full range of multimedia content creation applications and configured them for, for best performance for each of our workflows. So audio, graphics, video, photography, and publishing. Now, this is a really interesting distribution because a lot of people say, like, isn't it kind of redundant because it uses the same DE that another distribution uses or another flavor uses? But what's really interesting about Ubuntu Studio is that it is specifically tailored for content creation or multimedia creation. So it could be for music, it could be for videos, it could be for photography, and you get a lot of applications built in by default, which can be useful for people who have never used Linux before. Uh, in fact, producer Mark said that when he was started, he was new to Linux, it was really helpful for him to have Ubuntu Studio because he was able to see what the a lot of different applications that were installed by default so he could learn what Linux had as an option. And he also says this might be a reason that people should recommend Ubuntu Studio to new users instead of their favorite distribution, whatever that might be, if they are creative types because it does introduce them to a lot of great software. And I think that is a very, very good point. Uh, Ubuntu Studio is, is basically perfect for that. So if you want to convince someone who is a media content creation person, then definitely tell them to check out Ubuntu Studio. Uh, especially in 2010, this is going to be really interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. But 2004 is a, is a fantastic release. Uh, so there's the newest version of 2004 Ubuntu Studio. has the same three-year support for the other flavors do. And it also has MyPaint returning. MyPaint is a a, a graphics app or a graphics application that is much more simplistic than than GIMP, 
but also uh, kind of like more streamlined. So it's not it's not bad that it's more simplistic, but it's more streamlined in how it does things. So it might be useful for many people in comparison to using GIMP. And the latest version of 2.0 is available because there's a, there was a library conflict of GIMP and that conflict no longer exists. So MyPaint has been returned to the de default applications for Ubuntu Studio, which is really cool. And also LV, no, AVL Drums, which is an LV2 plugin, is now included with the default installation of Ubuntu Studio. And it can be used in conjunction with MIDI and any DAW that supports LV2 plugins, such as Ardor. Uh, also, Ubuntu Studio Controls got a large update, including Audio Setup tab is split into three tabs now for Jack Master Settings, Extra Devices, and Pulse Bridging. Uh, Firewire devices are no longer available under Ubuntu Studio Controls unless they work with ALSA. And consider upgrading to a more US, modern USB or PCIe audio interface if you have those kinds of issues. But also, Firewire is not the most common way of connecting anymore, so it makes sense that that would be a thing. Uh, Pulse audio bridges can now be renamed by the user, and they've also added LibreOffice Libre Impress, which is the presentation software for LibreOffice. Uh, there's also some really interesting stuff that they're doing. Like, I wanted to talk about some of the stuff that they had to remove with, like, DisplayCal, which is unfortunate they had to remove it, but it's also based on Python 2, which is weird because it needs to be updated. So hopefully DisplayCal does that soon. But what I wanted to talk about is... This is the last release of Ubuntu Studio that will be using the XFCE desktop environment. So 2010 will be switching from XFCE to KDE Plasma. And that is very, very interesting because I definitely want to see what they, what they do with Plasma because I, I've talked to some developers from Ubuntu Studio and a lot of them are using KDE Plasma, so it makes sense that they would be doing this. Um, they even said that in the reason why they're doing it, they're doing it. Plasma has proven to have better tools for graphic artists and photographers, and has and that can be seen with Gwynview, Krita, and even the file manager Dolphin. They say additionally, it has Wacom tablet support that's better than any other desktop environment, and they say it has become so good that the majority of the Ubuntu Studio team are now using Kubuntu, with Ubuntu Studio added on via the Ubuntu Studio installer as their daily driver. With so many of us using Plasma, the timing just seemed right to focus on transition to Plasma over the next release. And I think this is very, very interesting because Ubuntu Studio is a really cool distribution in general, but as a Plasma fan, I always liked using Kubuntu, and I was really happy when they introduced the, I think it was 1904 they introduced it, where you could actually install the stuff that Ubuntu Studio team did on top of Kubuntu. And now that they are switching to Plasma, this makes it a really interesting uh, play for Ubuntu Studio as a as distribution itself. Uh, I definitely will check it out when it comes out with Plasma. And I also will check it out anyway, but I, the Plasma version is like super interesting to me. So 2004, very cool release. 2010, super excited for that one. But before we move on to the next flavor, I wanted to give a special mention to the website because they have a new website for Ubuntu Studio. And as I'm a designer and a marketer, I notice these things and they are really nice when a distribution and an open source project puts the time into their website. And this latest website for Ubuntu Studio is quite good. So I just want to give a special mention and congratulate the people who developed it because it was a very well done site. Uh, because, you know, if you've ever talked to me about design or marketing, you may know that I'm kind of critical to the ecosystem in the sense of that they don't do marketing very well they don't do design very well 
and they don't put much effort into it. Not that they, not that there's not good designers in the ecosystem of open source and everything. There are. It's just some of the development teams don't put much effort into design or don't care about it that much, and they don't put you don't see it there. But in this case, Ubuntu Studio did do that, and I just want to give them a quick mention because well done on the new website. Up next on the show is another flavor for Ubuntu, obviously, and that is Ubuntu Kylin or Chillin or something. I'm not totally sure how to say that. And I know you're probably thinking, don't you have a series on your channel for how to pronounce stuff in Linux? And I mean, yes, but I don't know how to say this one. So that's why there is not a episode or video for that on the series. So I don't know how to say it. I've heard Chillin before and I've heard... Other people say that chilling is wrong, so I don't know. Hopefully, I can find out soon and let you know. But for now, I'm just going to have to go with, I don't know. Ubuntu Kylin, or Ubuntu Chillin, or something, uh, has a new release, and it has some really interesting stuff that happened. They have changed their new their, U, their desktop environment for UK UI. used to be based on Mate, which used the GTK toolkit. Now the 3.0 version of the UK UI is now the default versions you can use on the latest release of 2004 and it is based on Qt toolkit which is very interesting because it's a big change it requires a lot of rewriting so it's really interesting that they were doing it and it also shows how well you can do a transition and what you can do once you transition to Qt because Qt is a very very nice toolkit it's I think it's the best toolkit available and of the options we have for Linux. But it's also a very nice polished desktop environment because there's a lot of cool stuff like the new start menu is very slick looking. And when you click, you, when you open up the start menu, you see a normal start menu. And at the very top, there's a little expander button and you can expand it into a full screen menu that has a lot of cool features and stuff. It's really, really interesting. And it looks very slick. Uh, I'm a big fan of the UK UI new design. I, I I can't wait to try it out. So I will be checking out the latest release of Ubuntu, Kylin, Chillin, or whatever, very soon because that looks pretty slick. Especially, you know, I like the cute aspect of it too. So uh, they also have some imp- improvements to the taskbar, making it easier to adjust the size and position of the taskbar, as well as pin apps to the taskbar, like a like quick apps or quick pinning stuff. Uh, also, they have redesigned their uh, a bunch of applications. They've redesigned their weather app, their calendar app, and they've added some improvements to the sound management of the system, as well as added a night mode, like I've talked about in the other stuff that have like a the circadian rhythms of l- lowering the blue light and adding like they dim it and also add some more red light, so it's better for you when you're you know wanting to go to sleep soon. If you're looking at blue light on a screen, it keeps you more alert and more awake, which is like the reverse if you're trying to go to sleep. So there's that. Also, uh, the notification center supports multiple message folding, making the list a lot cleaner. And also they have redesigned their file manager pretty extensively. So this is pretty cool. I can't wait to check out UKUI 3.0 just to check out the Qt-based aspects and see how much they polished it because based on the video preview they gave, it looks pretty slick, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So if you want to check it out, Ubuntu, Kylin, or Chillin, or whatever, uh, 20.04 release, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. 
Up next in the show is Ubuntu Budgie 20.04 LTS. So the latest release of Ubuntu Budgie has updated the Budgie desktop to 10.5.1, and this is a big upgrade from the 18.04 version of Ubuntu Budgie. So the list of things that have changed is just too many to list. So we're going to do the highlights again on this distribution. So this latest release has a new Raven section in the Budgie desktop settings, and Raven is the panel that controls a lot of stuff. Uh, that's really it's a really nice panel on the side of the budgie desktop uh, and also there's some changes to the panel so that there's new sound controls improvements uh, there's also some improvements to the notifications so you can have grouping now you can also turn off notifications if you want to and you can also control the position of where notifications display on the screen which is really cool also there's the font section of the budgie desktop settings have been introducing a new new bunch of new features one being text scaling and another being anti-aliasing options there's also been some improvements in the desktop section of the Budgie desktop settings. And this is where you'll find a number of an option called number of virtual desktops where you can choose how many workspaces or virtual desktops you'd like to use. You can go up to eight. I personally like six. However, I understand that some people have considered that an excessive amount, but I don't think it's so. So if you want to use eight, you can through Ubuntu Budgie. There you go. And also since uh, other features that are since uh, 1804 are the new network manager applet that is budgie based. And this is the new default for that. Also since then is the window shuffler. This is a tiling. Of, we talked about tiling window management in the pop OS section. Also, I forgot to mention that in Kubuntu, you can do that in plasma, although it's not automatic. It's more of a, you know, controlling the thing through shortcuts. Uh, but this is a another option in Ubuntu Budgie. You can have tiling with the shuffler system. And it's been completely rewritten and redesigned from this latest version. So you can have this tiling add-on if you would like to use it. And also there's a new shuffler control uh, mechanism for the settings. Apart from uh, other stuff like they've improved the responsiveness and stuff like that. But they've also added shortcuts for quarter tiling and half tiling. And they made it possible to set the margins and paddings between the different uh, sections of the grid if you'd like to do that and a lot of other stuff that we can't go into there's just too many about that stuff the shuffler is really cool so check that out if you haven't seen it it's another way of doing tiling window management inside of a desktop environment definitely check that out because the the shuffler in budgie in ubuntu budgie is pretty pretty cool so another thing that happened in this release is there's improvements to high dpi there's also been catfish has been this is a, fi a file and text search application that's been added by default inside of Ubuntu Budgie. And there's also a new desktop layouts section, which is like an interface switcher, which allows you to choose a particular desktop layout and it will switch everything for you automatically. There's uh, six different options. There's the current Ubuntu Budgie. There's also the traditional Budgie, which is based on the Solus Budgie. And there's also a classic Ubuntu Budgie, which is like the older version of Ubuntu Budgie. But you can also use Cupertino, which is the Mac OS version of the layout, and a Redmond layout, which is the uh, Windows, Microsoft Windows layout, like the traditional style. And there's also another one that has an interesting name. When I looked at the screenshot, it just reminded me of Unity, but it's named The One. I don't know why it's named that. I talked to a developer of Ubuntu Budgie, and he said, well, it's called The One because it's The One. I said, but it looks like Unity. No, it's the one. Like, all right, let's go with that. So if you want a Unity experience, it's called the one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. 
I still don't know. But another thing that happened that I really like about Ubuntu Budgie is that they listen to their community a lot. So in this release, there's a couple things that have been changed, even extensive things that have been changed. So first, something that's not very extensive is the Plank dock has now been switched to the bottom of the screen. Significant, but not extensive difference. Uh, and it's also been made transparent and has bouncing animations by default. Now, something that is extensive is that they have changed the file manager from Nautilus to now using Nemo. So there's a lot of new things that are coming back, like because Nemo is based on a previous version of Nautilus, that was basically what happened was Gnome decided that Nautilus had too many features that they wanted to break out and get rid of. So they did, and Linux Mint decided we don't want to do that, so we're going to fork Nautilus and make Nemo. So Nemo is from Linux Mint, and they essentially forked Nautilus to not be ruined by GNOME, which took out, like, there was split-screen features. There was a lot of uh, functionality of, you know, being able to uh, have different plugins that were no longer available, like File Roller and all kinds of stuff that were taken, or not really compatible for a while anyway. Maybe some of them are now, but it's been, I think it was like version 3.4 and we're on 3.36, so it was a significant time ago. Uh, But Nautilus is now... Uh, being replaced in Ubuntu Budgie with Nemo, which is really cool, which brings back the split screens and all the other features, as well as there's also some other stuff that has, if they say that if you want to, uh, you can right-click the toolbar to get the menu and preferences or click Alt, which is a nice little tip that applies to basically every uh, every application in Linux. You just hit Alt and it will drop down. If the, if the menu is hidden, you hit Alt and the menu will pop up, like in your browser. It also gives you the option to do the file edit menu, that kind of thing. So if you're uh, never, if you haven't seen that in a while or you didn't know about that, you know, there you go. Alt also sequence shortcuts are done by alt. That's a whole other video. So let's just move on to the next topic in the show. Up next in the show is Ubuntu Mate 20.04. And this comes with that De- Mate desktop version 1.24. We're not going to talk about that much in detail because we've already talked about that in episode 93 of This Week in Linux. So if you'd like to learn more about the 1.24 version of Mate, then check out that episode, which I will have linked in the show notes below and maybe even in the card section of the YouTube video, which I don't often use, but I should. So check that out. And also... They've added an experimental ZFS install option for this release. They've added game mode from Feral Interactive for better performance and boosting of experience when you're gaming on Ubuntu Mate. They've added Magnus, which is a screen magnifier application. They have a new indicator that provides a notification center with a do not disturb feature, among other features. But I always really nice to see the do not disturb being added because that is a very valuable thing that I'm currently using right now on my system so that I don't get notifications when I'm doing the show. So there you go. <laughs> They've also added multiple colored theme variations for their for their desktop, as well as some the Ubuntu Mate themes have been added to the GTK common themes used by Snaps. So Snapped applications are now themed correctly for Ubuntu Mate users when they use the default themes for Ubuntu Mate. Uh, there's, this is That's a really cool thing, and they've also made this change available to as far back as Ubuntu Mate 16.04, which is also really cool. There's a lot of bug refixes and all kinds of stuff like that. But another thing I wanted to talk about is that they have 
I added a firmware updater. It's a GUI uh, front end for with a, it's a GTK for the for the FWUPD application. And what this allows you to do is upgrade, downgrade, and reinstall firmware on devices supported by the LVFS or Linux Vendor Firmware Service. It also allows you to lock and unlock FWUPD devices or FUBADA. That's that's how you say it. I mean, not really, but that's, I'm going to do it again. You can verify firmware on supported devices and display all releases for a FUBADA device. <laughs> it's also not now possible in Ubuntu Mate to, to tile a window on screen quadrants, so like quarter tiling. So it's not like a full tiling window manager experience, but it is adding some features for tiling, which is really cool because, as I said before, it's really nice when desktop environments and distributions add a tiling functionality. So there's three I know of the flavors that have it, maybe more that I don't know, but definitely three have tiling, so that's pretty cool. And you can use just keyboard shortcuts to activate that tiling functionality. Another thing that has happened is they've done some changes and also removed some stuff. So first of all, the changes is that they have replaced Thunderbird with Evolution. And the reason they say is that Thunderbird does not integrate as well with the desktop. They say, for example, theme integration, font integration, compatibility with the HUD, which is increasingly difficult to support in Thunderbird, notifications with action buttons, locale, and spell checking. They're saying all these things are work, work much better in Evolution. They also say that Evolution integrates well with the Mate desktop itself because they both use GTK3. Evolution includes interoperability with LibreOffice, for which Ubuntu Mate is already shipping the required components for to doing that, and a bunch of other stuff related to integration with like Calendar and all kinds of things. So that's the reason why they have decided to switch from Thunderbird to Evolution. And I think that's pretty interesting because I think Evolution is another good email client. I think Thunderbird and Evolution Evolution are both good. Uh, They both have some issues because I don't think any email client is that great on Linux, like I said before. But both of them are quite good. So, you know, for adding theme integration and all that other stuff, it's really cool, especially with the HUD compatibility. That's pretty important. I think the HUD is a really cool feature that was taken from the Unity experience of Ubuntu from years ago and re-implemented in Ubuntu Mate, and I'm really happy they did that because it's a really cool functionality. Uh, but also another thing that happened in Ubuntu Mate's latest release, oh, before we move on, the Thunderbird application is still available, and really easily if you would like to install it from the software boutique, so just a one-click install if you would like to bring it back. So that is available. Uh, but what they decided to remove that I wanted to talk about is the removal of Compiz and Compton, which are compositors for... Mate. They said that they decided to remove it because the fundamental reasons for including them no longer exist. Only having one window manager to target means that we can promptly deliver new features and minimize development effort. So this is because they, the Marco uh, window manager that is used in Mate has had a lot of improvements and a lot of uh, refinements that no longer means that Compass or Compton need to be used. So that is really cool to hear. Uh, because I think that Marco is really good, but it always had that issue where it was kind of like, you know, not bare bones, but a lot less value in terms of compositing than the other two. So the, now that Marco has got to that point, I think that is awesome to hear. So fantastic to, you know, good job on that, on that work. So if you'd like to learn more about Ubuntu Mate and check out the latest release of 2004, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below.
Up next in the show and the last topic for this week is Zubuntu 20.04. So this latest release has a new theme. It's a dark theme version of Greybird. So it's Greybird-Dark. And I actually think the Greybird Dark version is better than the regular one, but that's just my preference because I like dark themes. Uh, but both of these themes are available for Snaps and flat packs, which is really cool. And a lot of people have complaints about Snaps not integrating with the theme of their system. And if you use Greybird and Greybird Dark now, you can actually get that integration. So very nice. And in Zubuntu 20.04, they have XFCE 4.14. And a lot of the differences between the latest this latest release is based on the 4.14. So this is the first LTS with that version. And also that means the first LTS with full GDK3 support. Some of the visible and functional changes that have come with XFCE 4.14 are an editable path bar and folder thumbnails in Thunar, improved high DPI support, savable monitor arrangements in the display dialog, reduced display tearing, which is fantastic, a new color profiles dialog for setting monitor, scanner, and printer profiles, a new notification and accessibility animations improvements, and a new screensaver app for configuring the lock screen experience, as well as a new notifications panel plugin providing easy access to do not disturb mode, which is a good thing to add, like I talked about before. Disturb mode, or do not disturb mode, is a very important thing, for me at least. So I'm really happy to see that anytime that's added. Very well done. So if you'd like to learn more about Zubuntu 20.04 LTS, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel and become a patron, you can help out in a variety of ways like Patreon and sponsors, and you can also contribute via PayPal and many others. And you can learn more about all that if you go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux Zebra t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. That's right, you can go to the DLN store to get the purchase the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which is a shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux because it has tux blended into the background to convey the message that whether you know that Linux is there or not, it probably is. You can find that in the DLN store as well as a lot of other great stuff in that store as well. And if you'd also like to contribute, you can do so without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. If you're not aware of what affiliate is, it's like a referral program where if you use a code from someone, a small percentage of the thing that you're purchasing from Amazon or whatnot are, is, ta- is given to the person who supposedly sent it to you. And it's a good way to contribute to someone without any extra cost because the price of the product doesn't change just by who sends you to it. It's just a small percentage given to them. So it'd be great if you wanted to consider that. You can just go to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And episode 171, be sure to check that out because Jill Bryant Reinecker from Linux Gamecast joined us. And we had a really awesome time talking to her about her hardware collection, which is ridiculously awesome. It makes mine just puts mine to shame completely. So if you're interested in retro tech, you should definitely check out that episode. And also it's just fun episode overall. So be sure to check that out. Episode 171 of Destination Linux, as well as the next episode coming out this week, episode 172 with Rocco. And also, I just want to let you know that I will be trying to do a live stream sometime soon. Hopefully this coming weekend. Maybe not. I'm working on it. Lots of stuff to juggle these days. But I'm working on it. So hopefully I'll be able to do the live streaming soon. If not the next episode. But we'll see. I'll, I'll post a thing on Twitter 
letting everybody know when it happens, if it's going to happen, and all that good stuff. So again, thanks for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.